The worst roads in Manitoba. The results are in from CAA. Five of those roads are in Winnipeg, five of them outside of Winnipeg. And one of them we actually focused on for our small town salute because we went to one of the communities where that road leads. And we learned yesterday the legendary queen of rock and roll, Tina Turner, has died. So looking at her career, she's done a lot of duets and collaborations. So we use that to ask you, what's your favorite musical collaboration? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Thursday, May 25th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And as you just heard in Sarah McCarthy's Global News at 6 o'clock, Tina Turner passing away at age 83. And Greg Mackling, you said that when it comes to Tina Turner, it is the only what? Only concert I've ever been to by myself. Yeah? And I enjoyed every minute of it. It was absolutely incredible. I'm trying to remember the date. I can't even remember the year. I want to say it was 83 or 84, but I could be wrong. Might have been later than that. How dare you not remember the date? Yeah, I'm looking here. I know she played Winnipeg in 87, but that doesn't feel right. It might have been if 87. If Dale Howard had been there, you would have remembered yeah. this date. Yeah, I, I didn't have my my license yet. It looks like she was here. Yeah, October 10th, 87. I didn't have my license quite yet. That didn't stop me from driving to the arena to get tickets. <laughs> um, sorry, Charles. <laughs> ah, that's so good. That's my stepdad. Uh, yeah, driving his car without a license back in the day. Not smart at all. But yeah, the, I couldn't find anybody really to go to the concert with. So I just went by myself and I just ha- I had a wonderful time. She was incredibly talented. Her music, you know, all you got to do is listen to it. Powerful music uh, resonates with so many people across so many generations. And uh, just what what a what a talent. Well, and when you well, and one of our colleagues, Frank Andrews, over at Peggy at ninety nine one, put together this montage, which is kind of a handy little reminder of just the the staggering career that she had. and roll what a voice man i went down a rabbit hole last night watching some videos of her yeah and uh i wouldn't say i was somebody who like grew up with tina turner in the sense i've watched a ton of it I just, you just knew every time you heard that voice it was so so um 
iconic and it's also a voice that it was hers like it, nobody sounds like her and when you have different voice competitions now no you never hear someone say oh that sort of sounds tina turner s because you can't like she's yeah. so her own and uh and plus what a set of gams those <laughs> legs my god she was gorgeous like right to the end in all sorts of ways and had exuded that spirit that you see on stage even in interviews i watched a very calm interview with larry king that she did last night uh, from years ago and just the exchange and her tone of her voice just even as a in conversation was a delight. Well, when you see the film of her movie and her life story, obviously what she dealt with in her marriage and uh, the abuse and, and everything that she fought back from to break free and to break out from under the spell of Ike Turner to become her own person and her own star and to take charge of her own career and her own life. I mean, it, it just... She has a story on so many levels. And and for my money, for all the great Brian Adams songs that there are, <laughs> his duet with Tina Turner might be one of his three or four best ever songs. Yeah. No, it's uh, so we at 645, we're actually going to use what Greg just said as the springboard for our conversation for our contest today as it pertains to musical collaborations. But we'll get more into that at 645. Uh, by the way, Mackling, last night you were at a special event uh, regarding something exciting that begins in Winnipeg on Saturday. I'm looking at directly across at you and your Winnipeg Sea Bears hat, that logo uh, that people are already becoming familiar with and I think uh, maybe even growing an affinity for. Sea Bears uh, kick off their season Saturday night, last night, at the Metropolitan Theatre. They uh, debuted their jerseys home and away. They're uh, very crisp Sort of, I don't know what the official teal or or light blue color is. I don't know if they've got their own name, but very crisp looking, very professional looking jerseys, uh, blue home, white away. And uh, David Asper uh, addressed the crowd. I'd say there's about three or four hundred people there last night talking about how they're expecting close to seven thousand people for their first ever game on Saturday night at Canada Life Centre. They had to, in fact, had to adjust the configuration that they were planning to use uh, for the Sea Bears in terms of the setup of the arena. And uh, they've had to adjust their thinking and physically adjust how their uh, opening seats and and how the the layout of the of the actual arena will be uh, on Saturday night. They've done a great job of that buzz, that's of creating so. that buzz. My kids who... I don't know where, I mean, I'd like to think they're listening to CJOB right now and all day long, but I don't think that's what's happening when you're 12 and 10. Got in the car the other day. Can we go to a Sea Bears game? And that was one of their first questions after school because the kids at school had been talking about it. And so it's just, there's something going on out there. People are excited for something different. I think that's really cool. Yeah, I'm going on Saturday and I'm really excited about the way this came together. I'm going with my buddy Kent and his 16-year-old Regan. Perfect. And his son is super pumped and... It's kind of the past and present colliding because I went to the first Thunder Games with my friend Kent. So here we are some 30-ish years later going together to enjoy the new professional basketball team. And his son has that same level of excitement that we had when we were teenagers. I want to ask you a question that Christian asked me on the sports show last night. Uh, he didn't have a guest, so he, he uh, I was walking by. I need a guest when you talk. <laughs> so we're talking about the Thunder, and 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 my feeling was that the the, the Thunder drew well for the three years that they they were here. Yep. Um, 
I don't think it's a big deal if the team wins or loses. I think it's going to be about the production value of the games and whether people are having fun or not. Would you concur? What's your thought? I would agree with that. I think I think like when I was a teenager, I was all in on the team. So when they lost, like I remember they lost to the, their first game to the Dayton Wings, uh, which was tough because they, they their thunder came out guns blazing and there were 11,000 people in that arena that night and the crowd was on fire. But then the D- Dayton was the defending champ and they they took over Keith the game. Smart. I think they had Keith Smart on that team. Sure. Indiana, who was lights anyway. Yeah, but uh, and then the the attendance here, right? The the attendance was consistently good, and whether the Thunder won or lost, it was in a, it was just exciting to have pro basketball in our city and to have it back once more. Super pumped for Saturday. Let us know if you're going. By the way, two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. And I mean, I would have gone to the thing last night, but I was up watching the uh, Survivor finale. I was doing Couch Potatoes homework, so we'll have more on that in the Couch Potatoes podcast. And then you can listen to that Saturdays and Sundays on CJOB at noon. It was a terrible experience, and I, I don't want anyone to ever have to live through something like that because it. It's the worst thing I've ever gone through, to be honest. (laughs) She's speaking out in hopes others don't stare death in the face as she did. Yeah, that quote came from an email through her family who connected us with Crystal T-Burge. That's the voice you just heard. And they wanted to share the heroin experience that Crystal went through over the weekend. She was camping in the big white shells in a campground and using a van to sleep in when somehow it started fire. We were using the van as a tent because, like, it's warmer and drier than an actual tent. So, you know, we had a mattress back there and a bunch of my clothes, my stuff. And so I went to bed. Everything was fine. Nothing out of the ordinary, you know, just peaceful, quiet lake time. And um, I woke up around 2 in the morning and the entire front cabin was on fire and the seats in the front were on fire and... Like, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, like, you know, the steering wheel was on fire, just everything, the whole front. And it was just starting to come, you know, like to touch my bed kind of thing. And honestly, I, I don't remember all that much. And it it all just happened so fast. And honestly, I don't even remember getting out of the car. Like, I, I was just so out of it. It's, it's almost like It's almost like I went into some kind of like a survival blackout. I just... And one of the side doors doesn't open from the insides. And that was the side that was facing my dad's where he was sleeping in his camper van. And uh, I, I couldn't get the door open. And I, I, I have like third degree burns on my arm, my left arm. And um, yeah, so I guess eventually I got out of the other side door. But I honestly don't remember how I got out of the vehicle. And I only remember about a split second of the fire and just utter fear and horror and thinking I was going to die. Can you imagine, right? Middle of the night and this is going on and it's probably not something you would even think could happen while you're sleeping in your van. And so Crystal T-Burge says the scene was chaotic. Go to cjlb.com to see the the burned out shell of this vehicle if you want more just on the image. But it is a complete, obviously, wreck. Here's more on, on what unfolded. I didn't even know I was burned until like I had finally woken up my dad and he helped me like move stuff back and we called the police and honestly they showed up with um one RCMP officer with an empty fire extinguisher um fire services never came paramedics never came it was a nightmare 
Did you wind up getting some treatment in hospital? Honestly, I was so messed up and just, you know, like traumatized after the incident. And like, so was my dad, like, you know, like glass was exploding. Like there were flames 50 feet high. And that was like five minutes after I got out. So it's like, I I feel like I should have died. And for some reason I didn't. And I'm so thankful that I get to be here with my family still. Crystal spoke to Julie Buckingham and Skylar Peters on the news yesterday afternoon. She says... They're still waiting to hear how their 2005 Grand Caravan caught fire. In the meantime, she has this message. I beg of you, everyone listening, anyone who even catches a glimpse of the story, like, please, if you're going to sleep in a vehicle or any type of enclosed space, please install some sort of smoke detector, CO2 detector, something, because you don't want to wake up on fire. You want to wake up before the fire is like either bad or before it like starts or you know when there's just smoke still and you have time like I I was told I had you know five minutes or less or I I wouldn't have gotten out and it's I was told that it was amazing that I even woke up in the first place because like of just the black smoke and the CO2 poisoning and until I heard this story and had heard her speak yesterday. It never crossed my mind the idea, Greg, of smoke detectors in cars and if that even exists. I know rental companies for years have talked about ways they detect cigarette smoking in cars because they'll ban you from smoking in their cars. And so they might have these detect systems. I went down a sort of Google hole yesterday trying okay. to figure out does this even exist. That vehicle was 2005. So I don't know if there's things in newer vehicles that might detect smoke, but you can be- better believe there are more people. Every car ad these days of an SUV or van is Good telling point. you camp, bring out your kayak get your bike, use your vehicle to sleep in. Right. And the odds of it catching fire, you'd like to think are low, but who cares? She's in the dead of sleep. And if she hadn't woken up. How many of our listeners carry a fire extinguisher in their vehicle? We probably all should. I only know one of my friends who talks about it all the time. He's very vigilant about it and thinks everybody should carry it. I know in my camper trailer, There is a fire extinguisher, a smoke detector, and a CO2 detector. And that's just one of those hybrid campers, right? It's a hard shell and the the beds fold out, so the canvas beds fold out. So there's plenty of fresh air, but I've had that CO2 detector go on when... When the propane, I had the furnace going and something wasn't quite right with the valve. So, yeah, like you say, a lot of people or a lot of car companies are saying, not only can you drive this to paradise, but you can sleep there as well. In fact, there there are some vehicles now where the tent is, you can get a, a tent <laughs> attachment that's integrated to the tailgate uh, so that you can you know, create this uh, sleeping area in the back of your van or your SUV. Yeah, wasn't that one of the selling features of the Pontiac Aztec? It was, Brett. Absolutely, yeah. I I feel like every car commercial is selling you on the idea that you should be, A, better at wilderness stuff than you are, but B, like, (laughs) like it's all about using that vehicle to be in the rugged terrain and sleep in it. So I don't don't know, Brett, do you even think there, does this exist? Like, I have no clue. I didn't... I have no idea. I've never even thought about it. And, I've but made now, you my go-to car guy this morning, so <laughs> step up. Well, I, but now that you, once this came up yesterday, I thought, you know what? Anybody who's ever smoked a cigarette in their automobile and in littering discussion aside, if you flick the smoke out the window, sometimes it can blow back in. Or if you've got the back window open, it can, you know, go out the front window, come back in the back. 
Never happened to me, but I have dropped a smoke while driving, and the, the immediate panic that sets in. So if there's a cigarette burning in your back seat, uh, smoke detector would be very helpful in that time because it can get if it gets out of control while you're driving 100 or something, uh, you might not have time to deal with it properly. Tackling McGarry and McNabb in the wake of the death of Tina Turner and reflecting upon her monumental career and the multi one thing that we was were reminded of is the number of duets that she did greg you mentioned the duet that she did with brian adams what song was that uh it's only love it's only love that's all baby yeah and uh, i'm just looking at i just googled tina turner duets and there's one with apparently oprah Mm -hmm. and one with rod stewart and one with david bowie and i'm assuming the list goes on and on elton john janice joplin yeah that's it's like if you go you go down that hole you're gonna love it never come back so we want to ask you what's your favorite musical collaboration whether it was a duet or perhaps it's a song featuring a rapper or you know a crisscross like i think of uh Judge the the soundtrack for the movie Judgment Night. You might not know the movie, but if you remember at all, the combination of rap and rock in the early '90s that was the first real sort of metal and rap combined. I know that, um, and hopefully, I'm not stealing anybody's thunder here, but Walk This Way, Run DMC. Oh, you stole mine. Par- oh no! Change <laughs> <laughs> well, music, oh, man. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, no, but but I, I love, like, what I love about it is uh, the story of how this song came to be and how Run DMC was using this, uh, the beat to this, and Rick Rubin comes in and goes, like, no, no, you got, you got to do it with Aerosmith. And they didn't even hear the lyrics of Aerosmith, yet they're just using this track. Yeah. And when they heard the lyrics, Run DMC's like, no, 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 we're not doing it with, with Aerosmith. And then when Aerosmith... Uh, got asked to do this they're like no we don't want rap in our you know no and they worked together and it turned out to be this huge hit yeah it was revolutionary revolutionary uh or maybe you were at a concert and there was a surprise collaboration like a special guest just at random if you've got a story like that we'd love to hear that 204-780-6868 all right cameron poitras let's start with you Oh, hang on! Like, I sorry, got to turn the mic <laughs> I'm on. glad Jeff Braun's not here because I think he would have uh, he would have picked this one. But uh, go ahead, Metallica and uh, the San Francisco yes. Symphony Orchestra. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. S&M, No Leaf Clover, baby, absolutely one of my favorite albums. Just, it, it, was it the whole album? Oh yeah, this is like one of my favorite Metallica songs, if not if not my favorite. Oh. My dad would play this one in his work van. Constantly, this and crash test dummies uh, <laughs> synonymous with my dad. <laughs> they filmed this whole this. thing though, too. Like, you can watch yeah. this concert, it's really cool. It's, it's awesome, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, metal and symphony work so well together, totally. That, that's great, yeah. Man. It's made it's made for it. So, I literally yeah. just listened to that album like two weeks ago when I was walking. <laughs> really, yeah. <laughs> uh, Sarah, what about you? I will let the song speak for itself just for a minute here. Islands in the stream. That is what yeah, classic. Great choice. <laughs> Dolly and Kenny. I just love it. I thought it was a little random, but that's what I thought of immediately when I saw the question. But I love it. It just puts you in such a good mood. You are going to regret this today because now you know what I'm singing through the newsroom. 
You know what? That's okay. Poor I Cam. love it. Well, Poor Cam and well, Sarah I'm, in the now, now I'm hoping Tina Turner's uh, uh, Simply the, the Best is just going to yeah. take over your head over yeah. the next little bit. I'll just have to hear that one. from five to six, but I think I'll do Islands in the Stream from seven to eight. And the melody for Islands of the Stream was used in a song called Ghetto Superstar in the mid-90s. I don't know if you remember that. That was in the Bullworth soundtrack, I think. I love that version. Great sample, great sound, little Barry Gibb influence there as well in that song. Some Barry Gibb. Well, Greg, why don't we go to you next? Ah, well, Vanilla Ice, of course. Just kidding. For years, the first couple of years that that song came out, I didn't know that they had stolen it from Queen. The riff, the sample's incredible, but the harmony and the back and forth between Freddie Mercury and David Bowie is just, that's, just listen to it. to this song, song I can just picture them in the studio recording this and the back and forth and the energy and the magic and the and the, just the pure musical brilliance going on it just that spine tingling all these years later love this song excellent choice very good Loren what about you this is you know some of the duets when it's voices that you wouldn't expect working together and they come together and you think oh I wouldn't put country with pop or whatever so this is at an awards show and Chris Stapleton you'd expect it was a country awards show if I'm not mistaken or maybe it was the Grammys I don't know Chris Stapleton Justin Timberlake and is this the right poll come on <gasps> I know this one yes. no shall I hit play yeah go for it <laughs> So that's Chris Stapleton. Yeah. Ooh, that's JT. Yeah. And the whole crowd, like they're on their feet, and it's like they're all like, "Wow, who saw this coming?" I've never heard this. Or maybe they all did. It may, I have watched that over and over again because they did two songs together. One was a Stapleton song, and then they did this one as a duet, and. Uh, JT almost takes over in some respects because Stapleton's such an uh, unassuming person. Yeah. But man, it was it was fun. It was super fun. I'll bet. Well, that hey, sounds when, awesome. Yeah, I've actually got a couple here. Uh, one of them is from my childhood. It remains actually one of my favorite songs from both of these artists. Say, say, say what you want. Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson. Say, say, say. It's where they they. they like old-timey snake oil salesman in the music video. Yeah, Michael the Jackson's great. Huge, guy. Yeah, huge production. Yeah. Didn't they, they did a, um, black and white as well, right? Yeah, and there's, I think, The Girl Is Mine, if I'm thinking about it oh. now. Was that also Paul McCartney? And Yeah, yeah so that's they, that's both of them. Yeah. Did, okay. But uh, you mentioned Jun- Justin Timberlake, so how about this for a musical collaboration? Girl, you know we've been <laughs> One of the Hall of Fame Saturday Night Live sketches. They won a Grammy for this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) I dressed up like this for Halloween once. Oh boy! <laughs> yeah, I velcroed a box. Yeah, you did. Uh-huh. Yeah, and uh, don't look at the box, everyone. <laughs> I put candy in there, but no, there are no takers. Anyway, that's about as far as I can play that song. Oh, that's good. Now we should play after. What's the other collaboration with? I'm forgetting his whole name. How can we be lovers? Michael Bolton. 
Oh yes, the, the Lonely one. Island and yeah. Michael oh, Bolton. That yeah, was fabulous. Also, yeah, that was Andy Samberg and Justin Timberlake. He was part of a comedy troupe as well, The Lonely Island, which did a wonderful, amazing song with Michael Bolton. We'll have to see if we can find a a clean version Good of luck. that. Yeah. This is the song <laughs> of Captain, Captain Jack, Jack Sparrow. Sparrow. Okay, so we need you to tell us about your favorite musical collaboration at 204-780-6868 for a chance to win Flatlanders Beer Fest tickets. If you have a story accompanied with that, like let's say it was a concert or just a memory from some part of your life, maybe your childhood, 204-780-6868. We'll pick a winner at 9.15. In the meantime, after Global News at 7, the results are in on the worst roads from CAA. That's next on The Start. Right now, we want to talk about how thousands of us have some sort of adventure planned this summer. Golf trip to somewhere, like I'm going to Minnedosa, Nipawa, and Clear Lake. I've never been to Clear Lake, Lorenz, or maybe it's a reunion with friends, a weekend out camping, whatever. You'll enjoy the highway to Clear Lake because it's being repaved as we speak. But, of course, whenever you hit the road, you might be asking what are up with these roads, depending on where you're at. And for more than a month now, CAA has been asking you to weigh in on their annual Worst Roads campaign and topping the list this year. Well, let's just say if you've been to the White Shell, you know it. If you live in that area, you likely loathe it. Avalt Friesen, Manager of Government and Community Relations with CAA, joins us now. Good morning. Good morning. Pleased to be here. Thanks for having me again. I don't have a drum roll, but I'll let you do the unveiling. Topping drum, the list this year is? Drum roll, please. We uh, The dubious distinction of Manitoba's worst roads goes to Highway 307, connecting Seven Sisters Falls and White Shell Provincial Park. Mm. We have quite a bit to say about this one. Well, yeah, what's wrong with this? What did respondents say? You're, you're, you're the, what's the word on the street? Well, I can only comment on what we're seeing in the trends. So uh, this road might come as no surprise to the folks who are in the area, as it was last year's number one worst road in Manitoba as well. Moreover... The year prior to that, in 2021, it was number three. So it looks like Highway 307 is a usual suspect. So um, it, it is either people are campaigning hard to make this top the list, or it, more people are using it, or it really is that bad? What's the issue? Well, there's a few few ways to sort of like parse the data, but it seems to me that uh, so these in rural communities specifically, these roads are unavoidable. Uh, so you simply get exposed to them more often. And in denser places like Winnipeg, you simply have more roads. Uh, so, of course, that, I mean, you have more to choose from. So, however, what's weird is that since it's been in the top three spot for three years in a row, that there's something going on here. Yeah. Uh, I would like to point out, though, uh, that uh, um, some we do have a worse road here in Winnipeg as well uh, that I would be remiss if I didn't point out. And that one goes to uh, Goulet. Goulet yeah. here in St. Thank Boniface. You. <laughs> Thank you. That was our choice. I've been driving that street. I take it every morning, every single morning. Yep. And even when they did fill in the potholes, it felt like it had almost been worse. There's, it is topsy Topsy-turvy. That's right. Yeah. So the uh, the ones here in Winnipeg, uh, Goulet, obviously. Uh, then we have Leela. 
Then we have yep. Keniston, no surprise there. And then we have Saskatchewan Avenue and Empress. Um, interesting uh, facts about these particular Winnipeg roads is that they have all also made an appearance at various times in our list. However, interestingly, and here's the good news for the day, uh, in the case of Empress, Saskatchewan, and Keniston, these were uh, prioritized higher in the past and have since been demoted, uh, which tells a very interesting story about uh, how well this campaign works and uh, how pleased we are with Manitobans for having participated in this in this uh, campaign. Primarily, that uh, there's action. There's action when these roads make the list. Uh, people start paying attention, our politicians, our decision makers, the civil servants who are responsible for prioritizing road repair. They start listening and uh, these roads get addressed above all else. Moreover, uh, the campaign provides an opportunity for Manitobans to truly express uh, what's on their mind, uh, what might, might make sense from a municipal uh, point of view might not be the per- the first one that Manitobans would choose. Uh, so these are the ones that are, you know, these are the at-home roads, the ones that are front and center, always on the minds of Manitobans. What chunk of Empress? Because they did so much work on that. Yeah, good point, Brett. Uh, there is... Uh, is it like north of uh, Ellis, I guess, or Sargent? That's yeah. right, yes, north of Ellis. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I so, would... Go ahead, Greg. Yeah, no, so obviously uh, Winnipeg very well represented, but so is rural Manitoba, the top three uh, choices, so to speak, are uh, Provincial Road 307, as we mentioned, 18th Street in Brandon, and Highway 34. So what does that tell you with regard to the, you know, the, the, the weight that rural Manitoba is is carrying on this list? Yeah, we love to see that. Um, primarily, like in the, in the past, we have not seen so much rural representation. It seems that uh, Manitobans and, and rural parts of, uh, of this province are really getting involved in all of this. Um, again, we're not here to shame or blame anyone. What we're, what we're here to do is really give an opportunity for folks to participate. So we actually have some stats on this. So uh, from our research, uh, 88% of us have strong opinions when it comes to these particular municipal affairs. What we do, however, is uh, we would complain or we would maybe gripe to our coworkers, potentially our spouses, our mechanics about the state of the roads. And then after that, we wouldn't do anything. Only 3% of folks would actually approach the people involved in, in repairing these roads and, and uh, who are responsible for their maintenance. So uh, providing an opportunity by, uh, via this campaign for folks to um, you know voice, voice their concerns is really, really important because uh, most of us don't take that additional step. So the top three roads, again, for people just listening, top three worst roads, not best, 307, then 18th Street, Brandon, Highway 34. This is the first time we've had three rural roads in the top three. One of our listeners just now saying, Sean telling us, Goulet and 307 could be cousins. They're related, (laughs) you know. They've got a lot of similarities. So Goulet tops the list for Winnipeg Roads and then 307. Uh, Thank you very much for your time. Hopefully next year 307's not top of the list because... Maybe some work gets done in there. Absolutely. And also, before I go, I'd just like to give a little shout-out to Pegwis First Nation. Uh, they didn't make the top 10 in the uh, road that runs through the community, but we saw you. Uh, we saw you participating, and we're, we're very pleased. Uh, so thanks so much. And also, there's one lucky winner out there who will win a year's worth of free gas from Shell. Anybody who participates in her campaign is up for that prize. Ooh, that's a prize. Mm-hmm.
Avald Friesen, Manager of Government and Community Relations with CAA, joining us live on 680 CJOB. And coming up at 735, Loren, are we, I believe we're hitting Provincial Road 307 for our small town salute. Well, after I heard that this was going to top the list, I thought, let's take the road and then end up at Otter Falls. So we're going to visit with the folks from Otter Falls. I think they can tell a tale or two about that road. We're talking about your favorite musical collaborations inspired by... The late, great Tina Turner, who did so many famous duets. And uh, we are just getting overwhelmed on our text line. We we heard uh, Keith Urban and Carrie Underwood singing The Fighter on the way out a few moments ago. That's suggested by Linda. But yeah, what's your favorite musical collaboration? Tell us at 204-780-6868 for your chance to win. Passes for Flatlanders Beer Fest, June 2nd and 3rd at Canada Life Centre. Uh, Glenn saying uh, Nat King Cole and Natalie Cole. Mm. I mean, obviously that was that was virtual, right? It was uh, yeah. use of technology there. Uh, Elvis and Sinatra also uh, suggested from Glenn. And uh, with regard to uh, our worst roads in Manitoba, uh, as you heard, so many um, so many rural roads and highways represent. In fact, the top three roads are outside of Winnipeg, Provincial Road 307, 18th Street and Brandon. Highway 34 is uh, number three on the list. One of our listeners says, Highway 34 this winter, the road is so bad, truckers have loads fall off on Get a out. daily basis. And then they sent a oh, picture wow. of a garbage dump container on the road. I think it's just to symbolize that the road is a dumpster fire. 34 would be from 16 south of Nipua, right? Like it goes yep. all the way to the border. Yeah. yeah, I've been on that road. That is a that is a really bad road. And I'm trying to figure out, I just stumbled across this yesterday, a website that lists all the infrastructure projects that are happening or on tap for the coming year. And I'm trying to figure out if 34 is even mentioned. 30, 307 is on the province's list for next year, but just a two-kilometer stretch. So Two kilometers? Woohoo! Oh, man, that's so outdated, that road. There's, a, you know, the, the, the lanes are... tight, too, Yeah, right? the lanes are narrow. There's no paved shoulders, and the shoulders are almost sunken. Just a bad, bad road. Is this Pour Some Sugar on Me by Def Leppard? I have never heard this before. One of our listeners said this is, uh, they can't not listen to this now. It's Def Leppard and M. Griner and the BBC Orchestra. What? And I had never knew that. It's very soothing in like the oddest of ways. This is apparently a Canadian singer, M. Griner. I, I don't know who she is. I'm going to have to listen more, and I'm trying to find the name of the listener who sent that in because I really, I mean, that's you learn something new. Yeah, that's. Uh, it looks like we don't have this listener's name on file, but that's amazing, and it's so cool when you when you get artists who can reimagine their own songs in so many different ways. Uh, whether you know, especially when it's like a really either a heavy song or something that's super upbeat, and then they slow it down with an acoustic rendition. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. Uh, I, when you said it was Pour Some Sugar Me, I was thinking, oh, Miley Cyrus, because I know she did a whole series of uh, of uh, works with Def Leppard. They did a special, and, and she reworked a bunch of their songs. That is spectacular. I'm going to have to uh, listen to that one myself. M. Griner, huh? 
That's right. So thank you for that suggestion. And you can keep your favorite musical collaborations coming, inspired by the late Tina Turner and her monstrous career, which included so many awesome duets. So we're talking about musical collaborations for your chance to win some tickets for Flatlanders Beer Fest. We're going to give those away at 9.15. And a reminder on the subject of music as well. We have tickets to see Brett Floyd at Burton Cummings Theatre on August 5th. And a reminder, the pre-sale is still going until 10 o'clock tonight at Ticketmaster. The code is CJOB and tickets go on sale proper tomorrow. In the meantime, producer Jeff Fortier, what time is it? It's time for our small town salute, and this week we are hitting the highway, and in this case, the highway that was just named the worst in Manitoba, the worst road in Manitoba to visit our next guest. Yeah, well, if you want to get out to the White Shell, you you may have to take this road. One of the more popular routes is to head north, then go east on 44. 44, also on the top 10 list, by the way. North on 11, then east again on 307. In case you missed it at the top of the clock, CAA revealed Highway 307 has been voted the worst road in the province. But, Loren, it also takes you to some pretty spectacular places. Yeah, you got Natalie Lake, Seven Sisters, Eleanor Lake, and then right into the White Shell Provincial Park to Otter Falls. Amy Verib is with Otter Falls Resort. Good morning. Good morning. So we'll talk about the road later, but tell us the view you have this morning. We're on the 30th floor at Portage of Maine, so we can see the sky uh, in all directions. What do you see this morning? Uh, the lake. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking out my window and I see the lake. It's beautiful out today. So yes, the sun is shining. It's gorgeous out here in the park. Absolutely wonderful. So last year, Amy, was not an easy start to summer with flooding. How did you fare and, and how are things uh, how are things working out so far this spring? Yeah, last year was bad. Um, family's been here 25 years. This winter was the worst year. Um, campground here is still closed, so we'll see what happens. But Hoping we've had a good start so far. Lots of people in the park over the long weekend, which is great. All the businesses did really well out here this long weekend. Um, fingers crossed. We're, we're not flooding this year, thank goodness, but hopefully the province can get the campground open next uh, next door to us here. So, yeah. Did you have any property damage on the resort last year? Uh, we were lucky. We definitely were lucky. We sandbagged. We had a lot of volunteers coming and helping us sandbag saved our lodge because our lodge is very old. So if we would have taken on water, we would have had catastrophic damage. Um, just more so like overland, backyard, sheds, stuff like that. Um, our road caved in a little bit, but we were lucky. Not so much with some people around. So so if we headed out and you describe the view you have of the lake every single morning, Amy, but if we were to come to stay at Otter Falls Resort, uh, we get a cabin, we get a room. What's it look like? What would this setup be? Yeah, so absolutely. So I have uh, nine lakefront cabins that we rent. Some have hot tubs, some have jacuzzi saunas, all lakefront. We're off the highway, very quiet. Uh, in the summer months, May to September, we have a takeout window, uh, best-selling burgers, ice cream, pickerel. We have a store. Awesome fishing this year, I hear. So, yeah, it's an awesome place to be and grow up. So, yeah. Amy, just talk about the the switch that gets flicked on May long weekend. You go from, you know, knowing every single person that probably drives past your location or even wanders on the property to to being like a bussing little community. Just talk about that change that takes place. Oh, it's crazy. Your mindset totally changes. Come like even April, we start, all of us resorts start to gear up for the season. 
your mindset totally changes. You're not in hibernation mode anymore, but we miss the people. Um, by September long weekend, we're, we're done. All of us resorts are done. We're tired. Um, but then come April, May, when people start coming around, it's nice to see new people and hear that it's their first time in the park. We have a lot of people that come year after year, but it's nice to know that, you know, other people are coming and exploring it out here because it's a beautiful part of the park. The North White Shell is definitely underrated. We're, we're, we're a gorgeous part of the park. So, yeah, I would agree. I've only been out there once in my life and it was it was to another resort. You mentioned the resorts and I was as I was making that drive uh, over to Barrier Bay, I was shocked at the number of resorts. So I'm wondering, like, uh, do you all get along or is, is there a rivalry? You get get you throw down with pitchforks in the street? No, no, no. We all get along. It's actually really nice. During the flood, we all kind of banded together and helped each other out because we were stuck in the park. Um, so it was nice. So we've made friendships and definitely, you know, band together when there's issues that need to be dealt with. So it's very nice. It's a community out here for sure. So Okay, so tell us about Highway 307. It topped the list last year for CAA's list. It's on it again this year. I've been on it. I, I could describe it, but you have to drive in and out of it fairly regular, regularly, I'm guessing, Amy. So what's the deal I with do. it? I do. So, yeah, my kids go to the Pinawa School, so we drive it every day, twice a day. Um, it's horrible. And I'm at the start of it. So if anybody is driving to Barrier Bay, Pinewood Lodge, Nudimick Lodge, it's horrible. I, I don't, there's no shoulder. It's dangerous. I don't know what it's going to take to have it repaved and even put shoulders on the side. Like, and there's wildlife out here. You know, there's deer, there's bear. So where do you pull over? We're one of the first resorts coming in. So I know in the wintertime, the culvert dips are ridiculous. So me and my husband will sit here and watch people pull up into our driveway because we have a big, massive driveway you can pull over into, and they're checking their load because they may have lost something, broke something. We've seen that. It's very dangerous out here, the road. And I would suspect, suspect perhaps over the years you've seen an increase in traffic. I mean, the white shells become really popular. There's a lot of new uh, seasonal sites out there that people go to. It feels like everyone I know has some sort of spot or camps out there at least once a year, Amy. So the demand Absolutely. for that highway, I would think in theory, is up. Oh, it's crazy. The amount of traffic on Friday nights coming out on the weekends, long weekends, it's crazy. I don't know how, knock on wood, there hasn't been a massive accident out here. It's it's definitely dangerous with the curves. I don't know how people go from Seven Sisters Falls all the way to Nunamick with their beautiful trailers and keep those things on the road. Yeah, it's it's sort of ironic that the things that draw us to this part of the province are are the uh, detractors in the end, right? The uh, the wilderness, the remoteness, the the wonderful yeah. wildlife, which can be yeah. a hazard on the road. But uh, obviously, some better infrastructure would be welcome. Uh, Amy, uh, give us uh, the thirty second elevator pitch. Uh, invite us out, and where do we get information about what you do and where you do it? Absolutely. So come out to the White Shell. We're open now. Um, you know, all of us resorts are looking. We have openings still for July and August. You can go to uh, otterfallsresort.com and check things out. You can go to the White Shell website page, check out all the other resorts. I hope, we're fingers crossed, we're going to have a beautiful summer here. It's looking like it, 30s this week. So let's get everybody out here. We have a massive beach for people to enjoy and come on out. Amy Barab with Otter Falls Resort. Thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate this. Thanks, guys. Take care. And uh, indeed, that road is tight. That's what I. That's the main thing I remember about driving that road. Uh, it was in the summer, so I didn't have to deal with any winter nonsense. But I, I was like, 
the grass goes like right up to the edge of this road. I'd never seen anything like that. Um, I'm not saying it's the only road that has that in Manitoba, but uh, I was I, I was like ugh, I wasn't driving. I was thankful that I was the passenger. Yeah, it rivals uh, some treacherous mountain roads that you'll see in British Columbia, mm. and I would I would actually say that uh, I don't know if I've seen a mountain road as bad as 307. Really? Yes. Oof. Okay, but you can feel free to weigh in at 204-780-6868. And again, otterfallsresort.com looks awesome. Looks like a great little getaway. Yeah, we want to go 700 plus kilometers north of Winnipeg Winnipeg to Pimichikamak Cree Nation. That's the Cross Lake area. And we're joined now by Chief. We were just about to be joined now by Chief David Monius. Uh, he was on the line, and then we've lost him now. They're working to help out uh, several hundred people in that area. Uh, 1,200 hectares is the size of the fire in that area, and they declared a state of an emergency overnight. And so they had uh, 10 buses that were getting elders and others with medical conditions to safety. They're not... Uh, immune to the situation. This is wildfires in that area have happened in years past and we'll try to get him back on to see if we can just describe the scene and what's happening because of course um, with that evacuation you mentioned uh, what's in the wind. Well the wind and the weather it all plays a factor in in where those people might go. Yeah and if you've been watching Global News Morning we've had uh, images that were sent to us uh, late last night of uh, the conditions up near Cross Lake uh, forcing uh, these evacuations. So we're looking to get some more details uh, from the First Nation itself. And it looks like we are good to go now. So go ahead, Loren. Uh, good morning, Chief Monias. How are you doing? Uh, good morning. I'm a little tired, but that, uh, I'm good. You've been working through the night. Just tell us the situation for the people in your community. Well, right now it's, uh, we had the fire that uh, we've been battling for since uh, Monday. Not this past Monday, but the other one. So it's been going back and forth, uh, depending on the wind, uh, which way the wind was blowing. And it just got bigger. And it, it just got too close. So we could see the fire. We could see the flames on the south end of our community. And there's, there's a body of water there. But we also know that the, the, the wind could blow towards uh, across Lake and along the shoreline. And then I was discussing that uh, with uh, our mayor for in, incorporated community across Lake which is adjacent to our reserve. And we said we should be calling, on, we will declare a state of emergency. And so I made the call to ISC, Indian Intentional Service Canada, and say that uh, we are calling on a state of emergency. And he was doing the same thing with the province. And no no later than uh, an hour or so, uh, we we got the call from the incident commanders coming to say, said, listen, you got to evacuate people. And we started mobilizing people. This was about uh, 9 o'clock in the evening last night. And, uh, you know, we had to start moving people, about 7,000 people that live in the community. You're moving all of them out, Chief? Like, all have to go? So where to? Right now to Winnipeg, uh, Thompson, uh, DePaul, Brandon, uh, wherever we can find room. But uh, the unfortunate thing is that there's no rooms. We had less than 200 rooms available to us. how close is the fire? It's really close. It's right by our doorstep, just a few kilometers away. Are, ho- are homes being threatened? <laughs> well, that's that's the thing. We're, uh, we we had to evacuate people because she was getting so close. It will it will hit the, the homes. There was actually embers that were flying in the air and being blown into our community and landing 
ash was sliding into our rooftops and into the community, a lot of smoke. And uh, for people's safety, we said that we have to make sure that people are all, all caught up. Chief, what are the what are the logistics there? I'm guessing there's basically one road in, one road out. How are you moving 7,000 people over the next few hours? Yeah, we had to get the fire department. Uh, uh, the, the people are fighting the firefighters, firefighters to help us escort people out, uh, get them mobilized, and uh, anybody that can drive out were asked to cast up and uh, the gas stations, and then you know we get them so much so much gasoline. At least to get out up to Chenpeg, which is actually uh, the dam up uh, down south, and there was also another gas station there, and where they would gas up further. So the more we can we can get people out of the community through uh, out of you know into Chenpeg, then at least they're out of the harm's way. Then we just now have to figure out where we're going to send them, and that's the problem. Right? We had was that uh, you know Red Cross was unable to provide us with less than 200 uh, hotel rooms. So we had to make sure that, uh, you know, we were making the calls. And even in the hotels we were provided with, uh, the hotels uh, did not accept our people because they said Red Cross never phoned there. So that was a really big uh, thing. And so we have people that are staying in uh, the rec center in Thompson. Uh, they can fit up to 170 people there. And we also have people that are sitting in parking lots. People with dialysis patients are sitting in parking lots. And we have one person with respiratory problems who so got really affected, had to be taken to the hospital. I don't know what her conditions are, but it's uh, very serious. So it's uh, trying to find accommodations, trying to find, uh, make sure people had a ride. We had to mobilize all our school buses, and we called Laurie House to help us with the school buses. They provided eight, plus three fans, and we had um, Nelson also provide two buses. Uh, plus, they helped us uh, try to get some cots for the rec center in Thompson. And some people drove to Brandon, some people drove to Paul and Winnipeg. Only to be told that the, the hotels that we were provided with did not uh, have authorizations from uh, Red Cross. Chief Monias, I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it there. I'm so sorry, but thank you very much for taking a few moments to let us know what's happening, and we wish you well, okay? All right, bye. In the meantime, summer is a huge season of festivals in southern Manitoba. And while one of the biggest doesn't happen until August, the event launch starts today. We're talking about Folklorama, which runs from August 6th to August 19th. Tickets go on sale today. Executive Director Teresa Catrodio is here to tell us what's new for 2023. Good morning, Teresa. Good morning. Thank Great. you for having me. Well, thanks for coming to see us in our, in our studio here, 30 floors above Portage in Maine, and from here we can probably point out a great number of the pavilions that uh, Daughter City coming up in August. 44 VIP tours. Tell us about some of those tours, including a Sweet Tooth tour. Are, are you paying attention, McNabb? <laughs> What's that all about? Oh, that one's new this year. Yeah, so if you haven't experienced a festival with a VIP tour, um, it's one of the best ways to go. You can either join a walking, bicycling, or a bus tour. And you get VIP access to the pavilion, reserved seating. Uh, they bring you your food and your beverage to the table. So uh, it's a fantastic experience. And you can book a couple of seats with friends, uh, drop your car off at uh, one of the pickup locations, uh, or take an Uber if you want to have some bevies. Uh, so it's really fun. And uh, desserts are a huge, huge 
part of life, as we know, uh, for some more than others. And um, so we thought, you know what, we're going to create a sweet tooth tour. And basically, you just pavilion hop, having desserts all night long and some cultural beverages along the way. What's the plan for when I've had my sixth dessert at my sixth <laughs> pavilion and I can no longer find a way onto the bike? You know, some, is there like a special extra plan to pick me up and we'll, carry we'll me? Come, we'll come pick you I'm up. I'm not yeah. talking bevies. I'm talking to the point where you've filled yourself and you can't physically move. So how many pavilions total this year? 40. 40. Yes. And so how does that compare to previous years? Well, so last year was only 24, right. which, you know, in arts and culture, it's going to be a multi-year comeback. And we knew that. So... Um, this year, we're really proud of the fact that there are 40. Uh, the highest we've ever had was 46. Uh, for our 50th, we had 45. So we're right in the zone. And you've got a returning pavilion from 2017? Yes. Uh, Cuba is back. Uh, it hasn't appeared since then. And uh, their community has been able to uh, reassemble themselves uh, after the pandemic. And uh, always a really, really popular one. So we're happy to have them back. Now, we mentioned the Sweet Tooth Tour. You brought in some sweet <laughs> treats. Greg, for example, you've got a, a big bottle of, is that pop? Is it juice? What is it? It says, it says passion fruit on it. Teresa, help me out here. This is from uh, our friends yes. in Portugal. What is it called? Sumol? Sumol, yes. One of my absolute favorite uh, Portuguese cultural drinks. It's non-alcoholic, but uh, oh. you can mix it with a sparkling beverage of your like. <laughs> A disappointment, Craig. That's okay. We'll just use it as a mix. All things can be altered. Yes, but it is it is actually sparkly to begin with, so it's really refreshing over ice in the summer if you do want something uh, non-alcoholic. Fantastic. Yeah. A lot of work goes into events like this. You know, there's all the behind-the-scenes stuff. Yeah. And I'm curious what's that, what that's been like because you talked about the comeback yeah. post-COVID, and there's people are interested in getting out, but you also need people to help out with all these kinds of events. What's going on on that front? Yeah, you know what? Last year we did see a lot of attrition. You know, some people were just happy to have their summer back and didn't want to volunteer again, right? Because it's it's a tremendous amount of dedication. Um, I think that some pavilions have already started their recruitment process. Um, you know, we have heard that there's a really solid contingent of volunteers coming back. And uh, we always recruit through our offices. So uh, I think last year we went recruited close to 3,000 volunteers through our offices. So we're always happy to do that. If you don't necessarily belong to a community and you want to help out, just contact our office. And there's also something here called Folklorama at Play. Yes. I'm wondering what, is that new? So we do Folklorama events in the community year-round. Uh, but this year we're doing a feature where if you are booking a custom tour, so let's say we all want to have a party one night and book our own tour bus and go to pavilions and everything else, uh, we can start off the evening by having a cultural, private cultural experience. So whether it's uh, sampling cuisine or interactive drumming workshop, that kind of thing. Um, we bring that to um, the client and then they are able to take off on their tour after that. So it's a really personalized experience. So one thing that's been added over the years that wasn't necessarily part of the festival uh, when I was growing up, that was this spectacular opening ceremony that takes place oh, at the Forks. Yeah. Tell us about that. Uh, so Casinos of Winnipeg kickoff started at the Forks. We're at Cinnaboyne uh, Theater, Lyric Theater, um, and it's, it's awesome. It's a free event, 4 to 8 on July 29th. Uh, one of the things that's really cool, obviously, it's a taste of Folklorama, so you get a little bit of snippet, but it's also the only place that all of our pavilion ambassadors are seen in one place. So the color's amazing, and really, truly, you get to see, like, the future leaders of, of the city, so it's very cool. 
And that's a free event. It's free. Yes. That's July 29th, 4 to 8 p.m. at the Lyric Theater. And uh, with these, uh, you've also brought in some, uh, we're guessing this is from England, Tunnock's Milk Chocolate Coated Wafer Biscuit. Uh, here, I'll pass this along if you want some, Loren. <laughs> and you brought some peppermint chocolate, uh, I guess, from Germany. But the, 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 <laughs> point, uh, the point of you bringing these treats in is a reminder, I, I would imagine, that Folklorama is a place where you might get your hands on food and beverage you can't otherwise find. It's true. Oh, it's so true. Um, you know, there are a couple communities that they don't even have a restaurant. Um, you know, oh. the Hungarian one is one of those communities that, you know, people just flock to the pavilion for the food. But surprisingly, even though we do have so many multicultural restaurants in the city, there's just something about the whole experience of going to a pavilion, immersing yourself in the culture and having having the food uh, amongst the people, I would say. Well, this is Scottish. This is this is like a coffee crisp, but better. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say, the inspiration for the coffee crisp. Came from Tunnocks. Right here. Okay. And everything was taken from us, Scots. <laughs> <laughs> if it's not Scottish, Folk- it's crap, haven't you heard? <laughs> Folklorama.ca. Tickets are on sale now. Once again, the event is August 6th to August 19th. Teresa Catronio is the executive director. Teresa, thank you for coming in and thank you for the treats. Thank you, guys. But right now, one of uh, the top stories at globalnews.ca for the last couple of days. The headline, $70 million Lotto Max prize from last year, still unclaimed and will soon expire. So the first thing I went looking for in this story is where was it? Where was it purchased? And as soon as I saw the Ontario Lottery and Mm -hmm. Gaming Corporation, I thought, okay, I I don't have to tear my apartment apart. Yeah, Toronto Scarborough area. So if you were happen maybe happened to be on vacation or in Toronto for work back last year and you purchased a ticket for the Lotto Max, maybe it's in your possession. Would you want to know? No. Would you want to know no. next month? Never. Like my goodness. No, that June 28th is your deadline. You talked about windows closing for the Try hospital lottery. Well, my gosh, can you imagine if you found out like the day after, 10 years from now, that that was your ticket? And and yes, it was sold in Scarborough. So the odds of someone in our audience having this ticket uh, are low. But the question I have is, what do you do? Like, do you, what is your practice with lotto tickets? I will admit that I can't stand clutter and pieces of paper in the house. And that includes lotto tickets that I know I've just tossed because I assume if it's sitting on the counter or in this pile right. on the bed stand or whatever, that you've either checked it or it's past its time and it's over. And, and I'm not going to worry about it because it should be, it should be somewhere else. I don't know where that else is. Like I don't <laughs> I have a suggestion, but it shouldn't be on the counter. I know where it is and I don't even do it. And I'm surprised that more people, maybe you do, but don't just take a picture of that ticket once you purchase it. And what I don't understand, and maybe there is, our listeners will know better. I've looked for it. Yes, you can purchase your tickets online. Mm -hmm. Yes, you can purchase a subscription and make sure that you automatically buy your ticket. Why isn't there an app, though, that, that tracks all these things? Take a picture of it because... That's the way I buy mine. They're sort of a impulse buy. I see the jackpot and I and I will, oh, you know what? Maybe I should buy this week. Or because somebody's mentioned it, I don't want to jinx it. Say like, so, oh, you're, but maybe you're going to win the lottery. Yeah, maybe I will. So maybe this is the week for me to buy a ticket. And so then I'll buy it. 
but then I put it in my wallet and I will find them in my wallet. I will find them in my console, mm-hmm. in the sunglasses department, in my car. If I found any car. of those, I would oh, be chucking man. them. Just chucking them. <laughs> Get it out of my, it's, if it's, if it's worth, if you think that might be worth 70 million, take better care of it. And wallet's fine, but like shoved in the console next to my bed. Come on, we just, maybe you were dreaming of it. I don't know, but it's, it, it has to be in a better spot. I'm responsible. Maybe I threw this person's. Maybe I was through the Toronto airport last year, which I was, and I sat on the ground and chucked oh. someone's lotto ticket. <laughs> like my like my stomach is churning right now with the idea that somebody's going to miss out on this potentially. Like it's not unusual for winners not to come forward immediately. I think they get their financial house in order. They get lawyers. They get accountants. They try and figure out who they're going to talk to, who they're going to cut out of their lives, who they're going to maybe bring in a little bit closer and and create that circle before you come public. But the idea, like, I can't imagine, is there somebody out there waiting for June 27th to make some sort of dramatic reveal that they're the person with this ticket? I I can't see that. Well, it, it could be one of so many scenarios. It could just be that they have already gone through their various lottery tickets. Like usually I'll, I'll wait until I've got not a, sometimes it ends up being a stack and it takes me forever to go through all the numbers, but I'll usually wait till I have a handful to check and then I'll toss most of them. I might get a free play. Occasionally I win five bucks or whatever. But the other day I found two that had gotten separated from the pack and uh, I haven't still haven't checked them. But um, they're they're only a month old. But those got separated from the pack, so it's possible that this winning ticket just got separated and is hiding somewhere oh, in this word. person's home. Because oh. that's happened to me. I found a lottery ticket behind my bedroom dresser once, and it was at this point two months expired. And I rolled the dice and just checked. You did? I checked it oh. out of curiosity. I don't know why. I don't know. I thought, don't check it. Don't check it. Don't you? What you don't know won't hurt you. Because yeah. if and? it turned out to be a win, no, it was nothing. Oh. Got nothing. I didn't even get it. wasn't even worth a free play. your story. And guys, I'm like, oh, I was almost a millionaire. Yeah. No, <laughs> well, I, but yeah, if I found out that I had a winning ticket, I would lose my mind. So now if I do happen to find an expired ticket, it's instantly torn to shreds. Yes. Goodbye. He, Matt has texted to say that he bought a ticket for the Panthers to win the cup and the payout oh, yeah? is 400 bucks. And he bought this a few weeks ago when he was in Vegas, and he can't find his ticket. Oh, no, four hundred bucks. Four hundred bucks is four hundred bucks, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Hey, congratulations, by the way, to Harold Foss, who won the tickets for Brit Floyd coming to Winnipeg August fifth at the Burton Cummings Theater. The question was, what was Pink Floyd's last? studio album it was in 2014 the album is called the endless river so enjoy brit floyd and the pre-sale continues until 10 p.m tonight the code is cjob and up next we are going to give away our other prize based on your favorite musical collaborations like this one puff daddy featuring faith lewis i'll be missing you after the death of the notorious big oh uh, th- this was such a popular song when i was in university and my one of my girlfriends got engaged to this guy and this was their song and we were like, what are you doing getting engaged at? Like, we were 20. And then they broke up, of course. And then, of course, you're at the bar and the song would come on and she'd be in the quarter ball. Like, it turned into this really not great thing. So every time I hear it, I, I shoot her a text. I don't tell her why. She's moved on all as oh. well in life. But it was one of those perfect things where the song means something. Oh, what a great song for us as a couple. And then, I never want to hear that song again. <laughs> fair. That's fair. Hopefully she's not listening right now. Don Amaro has a song about that. About I, I hate that song. 
Right. I think that's what it's called. Is really? I hate that song. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Uh, I'll, I'll send it to you guys. It's, it, it's very good. We'll try and uh, dig it up for you even before we get off the air here. All right. In the meantime, I want to talk about how police officers now carry them. Libraries and other community centers are often equipped with them. Naloxone kits, the life-saving antidote for anyone experiencing an opioid overdose. But our next guest says their supply of naloxone is dropping. Ray, which is the resource assistant for assistance for youth on Sherbrooke Street, Ray hands out about 250 naloxone kits per month. And right now they have just 60 left for May and aren't really sure where they're going to get more. Brita Vosters is the Director of Grants and Information at Ray, and we say good morning. How are you doing, Brita? Hi there. I'm doing well, thanks. Thanks for having me on, on your show. Well, I think everyone, you know, a few years ago, hardly anyone knew what naloxone was, and now it feels like something I said. I was coming into work a few months ago, and someone yelled out, do you have any naloxone? Because someone in front of me on the street was going through an overdose. And so I'm curious, what is the need in terms of what you're seeing for these kits, Brita? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, in an ideal world, if we were fully stocked up, well, in an ideal world, we wouldn't really need them. But um, if we were fully stocked up, we would be handing out probably close to 75 to 100 per day. Um, We're on the streets for about, you know, six hours total um, each day of the week. And and yeah, we're we're getting, you know, a very, very high demand for these for these kids. Rita, help us understand who's asking for these kits and under what circumstances. Is this a preventative measure? This is somebody that's a you know uses drugs themselves or knows some somebody or more than one person and they want to be prepared for a worst case scenario. Help us understand who, who's using this this many kits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I mean I think it's all of the above. So certainly folks who use who use substances, they want to make sure that they are prepared in in kind of a worst case scenario. Um, And then also, you know, people who hang out with folks who use substances. And then, you know, someone like myself, I I make sure to have one or two kits on me at all times so that if I see somebody who's in need or if, you know, even if you're at a party, if you're at just a regular party or at a bar or something and you see somebody who's in need, um, that you can respond because it, it, it's a response measure. So it, it prevents catastrophic overdose. Um, you, you use it after somebody has responded negatively to um, opioids, typically something like fentanyl. <clears throat> so where does your supply normally come from? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we have a couple partnerships. We, we work predominantly with um, the WRHA to get our supply. Um, and then we have a lot of community that interacts with one another to make sure that everybody who's out during certain hours has enough kits to be able to distribute to community members. Cause we, you know, if you're on the streets of Winnipeg and you're doing outreach, you typically kind of serve similar populations as the, as main street project or as street connections, you know, we all kind of work together to make sure that we're, that we're prepared. So, what the, the ask today would be to who? Like, who is the ask out now to say, where are we going to get more? I know the province has helped to provide different groups with them. So is that where it has to go to? Is that health or, or, or who, Brita? Yeah. Yeah, it would be it would be Manitoba Health. It would be the, the province of Manitoba really making sure that we have, um, especially in summer, like spring and summer months, when, you know, more people are out on the streets, more people are using substances. We need to make sure that we're super, super prepared. So have we communicated um, with anyone from Manitoba Health, your organization or Main Street? Yeah, yeah, we have. We've, um, we've, you know, been kind of searching, asking through our connections through WRHA 
to try to make sure that we can get more of a supply. Um, we've we've recently received about uh, 40 kits, but but typically, you know, we can go through that in an afternoon, um, let alone two or three weeks or or a month or so. You know, so not knowing where our next kind of major supply is going to come from is 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 really difficult. <laughs> Brita, we're hearing stories that the the potency of some of the street drugs right now is leading to naloxone, one d- dose not necessarily being enough. Are are you hearing about that yourself? And is that mm-hmm. impacting the supply potentially? Yes, absolutely. the The need is definitely greater in terms of volume that folks are are needing in in order to reverse an overdose. So, you know, we there are certain substances that are out there that folks are needing you know, 11 what we call hits of, of naloxone in order to to get their heart rates back and to get their breathing back. And, you know, one, one kit I think contains about four shots of the intramuscular naloxone. So, you know, you can imagine if you multiply that number by, um, you know, by however many shots a person needs, then, then you're looking at a very large volume of this, of this medicine. So how do you decide then, like you say that you could potentially hand out 75 a day, that's over 2,000 in a month. Um, mm-hmm. But when your supply is limited, how do you choose who gets them? Yeah, that's a really great question. And it's probably one of the harder parts of um, of the job when it comes to shortages like this is, is kind of, you have to decide who's in the greatest need or who's at the highest risk. Um, and to make those calls for us is, is nearly impossible because we don't know necessarily. You know, we we know that there are folks who use substances a little more frequently than others, and that there are folks who are, you know, potentially a little more hesitant to to call ambulances than others. And and those are the people that we really really need um, to have these kits on hand um, because they maybe don't have any other kind of life saving measures that they are willing or can turn to. <laughs> Well, Brita Voster is Director of Grants and Information at Ray, the resource assistance for you. Thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate your time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again for having me. 75 a day, potentially. We were wondering just the other day, because you had seen kits, right, uh, down in the square outside Portage in Maine. And, yep. and we wondered, was that because four people had just had overdoses or were four kits w- what was needed to then revive that person and you think about the idea like honestly we just were doing these stories in 2017 2016 about the opioid crisis and i naloxone i had to learn how to pronounce it and now it rolls off the tongue everybody knows what it is it's crazy to think that's where we're at right now It's Mackling, McGarry, McNabb. That's Mick Jagger and David Bowie dancing in the street, as suggested by Kirk. We're asking you about your favorite musical collaborations, inspired by the fact that Tina Turner, who unfortunately has died, looking back at her career, full of amazing duets. Uh, Here's another one from Helene, Lady Gaga, and Bradley Cooper when they did that song, Shallow. John McTavish. We had a Def Leppard and M. Griner earlier, dude, like this really lovely acoustic version of... uh, Pour some sugar on me. Of which Kevin, our listener, said it was basically the worst thing he had ever heard. And I said, I will admit, I wasn't expecting it, but it's nice. It's just not going to remotely pump you up. I haven't looked this up yet, but John McTavish says they were billed as the acoustic hippies from hell. 
but it was Def Leppard and Hot House Flowers oh. and their version of You Can't Always Get What You Want is amazing. So I'll okay. have to look that up. A lot of people pointing to this one, Brian including, saying didn't Luciano Pavarotti and Aretha Franklin do a duet in front of a yes. symphony orchestra? I, yeah, I think that's the right combo. And I just thought now of Ed Sheeran and Bocelli. Oh, yeah. Bocelli. With Perfect. Bo- that Bocelli. was an excellent collaboration. And Ed with one that... <laughs> Bob and Doug McKenzie with Getty no. Lee. Oh, that was outstanding. Uh, Alison Krauss uh, and uh, and, and um, Robert Plant do a bunch of different uh, songs together. They're amazing collaborations. Oh, this, <laughs> this is Bob and Doug and uh, Getty Lee. Get out of here, eh? <laughs> Take off. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in the meantime, Loren, why don't you read our runner-up, and then, Greg, you can read our winner, Sue is our uh, runner-up, Loren. In 1984, I won tickets to see Johnny Cash, and he was fabulous. Then, about halfway through the concert, out comes June Carter singing, I'm going to Jackson, kicking off her shoes and dancing away. They were a great duet with many great songs and a great surprise for the concert. That wasn't that an amazing film, Walk the Line? I never saw it. Oh, my gosh. Couch Potato, come oh, on. There, so there, I'll never watch good. all, I can't watch all the movies. I'm doing my best, doing my best. Well, but, uh, then how can I text you when I, every other weekend with, hey, Brett, uh, just quickly, what's this one like? I might know. I might know. You never know. But Dan, Greg, is our winner with uh, uh, quite the surprise at a Guns N' Roses concert. Okay, I'm going to point to you to read the last couple of lines here because okay. there's a word in here that I'm uncomfortable saying. Yeah. I'm a big Guns N' Roses fan. Axel is sung with many different artists and so many songs. I would say the biggest surprise I have ever seen was in Winnipeg. Sebastian Bach. Skid Row, opened for Guns N' Roses' Chinese Democracy Tour and put on a great show. During the concert, Sebastian came out to My Michelle with Guns N' Roses, but the big surprise was Mike Smith. Mike Smith, Bubbles from Trailer Park Boys, came out on stage and joined them in singing. So this was in December 2006. Dan also says Bubbles sang his own song, Liquor and... um well, we can't really read the name, but if you know it, you know it. Uh, but he sang his own song, and uh, Dan says this was supposed to be the death of my childhood concert. I figured Guns N' Roses would be over the hill, but it was a heck of a show. <laughs> so a couple of great surprises there, right here in Winnipeg. Dan, you're going to Beer Fest. Congratulations. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We want to talk more about Naloxone in a moment, more about the worst roads in Manitoba, but another wonderful collaboration, musical collaboration. Is Fortune in Love or something like that? He's played a lot of ballad duets. Yeah. Apologies, I interrupted you there, but I'm I, just looking for love, Loren. Yeah, I, I, you're just looking. looking for love. <laughs> you just walk around, you ask anyone to do this dirty dancing move, and you will find love. <laughs> Bill Maybe Medley. just short-term love, but it'll be loving all right. I'm taking notes here. <laughs> Bill Medley and Jennifer Warrens. I got to admit, this is one of those songs that if I never hear it again, I it's know. too soon. But <laughs> I, 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 as soon as I hear it, it's undeniable why this is a Hall of Famer. Um, we're talking musical collaborations today because of Tina Turner's career, which had many, many awesome duets. But right now we want to... Uh, continue the conversation because we got a response from the province, Loren, on uh, the naloxone situation. So just after nine o'clock, and we're going to play some audio in a moment, we heard from Ray. That's the Resource Assistance for Youth. They're on Sherbrooke and they do a lot of outreach work. And one of the things they do is hand out naloxone kits. So that's the antidote antidote 
doesn't always save your life, but it can help you come back from a potentially catastrophic overdose. And so we know there's an opioid crisis right across this country. So many groups and organizations and police and paramedics and all the rest are now carrying naloxone because the demand is so great. And they, Ray, along with Main Street Project and other groups, say their supply is dwindling. They get that supply from the province. The province has said to me there is not a shortage, but there was a supply issue that's resulted in a delay on the shipping for some orders. They're working to obtain more kits that will fulfill back orders. And in the coming weeks, they think there'll be sufficient supply on hand to meet any future orders. In the meantime, they say people can also purchase naloxone without a prescription at a pharmacy as you might need. So more is coming. But Brita Varders, who is the director of grants and information at Ray, I mean, the demand that they're seeing is huge. If we were fully stocked up, we would be handing out probably close to 75 to 100 per day. Um, we're on the streets for about, a, you know, six hours total um, each day of the week. And, and yeah, we're, we're getting, you know, a very, very high demand for these, for these kids. That's one group working uh, the streets to hand these out. And Greg, you asked that question because when I heard Smike, I think all our jaws dropped. 75 to 100 a day, just Ray handing out naloxone kit. Yeah, and we wanted to know what was contributing to that. Why such a, a larger demand? Who is needing and wanting these kits? And 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 some of those answers were, were shocking as well, Loren. So Brita responded to that question, and it's kind of an all of the above scenario. So certainly folks who use who use substances, they want to make sure that they are prepared in, in kind of a worst case scenario. Um, and then also, you know, people who hang out with folks who use substances. And then, you know, someone like myself, I, I make sure to have one or two kits on me at all times so that if I see somebody who's in need or if, you know, even if you're at a party, if you're at just a regular party or at a bar or something and you see somebody who's in need, um, that you can respond because it, it, it's a response measure. So it, it prevents catastrophic overdose. Um, you, you use it after somebody has responded negatively to um, opioids, typically something like fentanyl. And again, we know this is going on right across the country. We talked about, Brett, you've seen those four little canisters. Was it canisters that would have contained naloxone? Yeah, it was, I guess, so I guess it was probably two uh, doses that were cracked in half. I guess you got to crack them uh, and then it attaches to a syringe or so. I don't know. I mean, uh, you can, in, there's some that inject, there's some that are a spray. I know. And she mentioned these kits. If you think about it, I, th- I think she said there's four doses in each kit. So the kit could potentially help four people, but that's not what's happening now because the, the issue with the drugs is that what's being mixed together. I think at one point last summer, maybe it was called purple down. Now there's something else on the street that's being mixed together. So it might be a combo of fentanyl, meth, or higher level fentanyl. I don't even know, Greg. Yeah, just it's the potency. The potency, thank you. Is just so much higher, which means the amount of naloxone in order to bring somebody out of an event where they need it is greater. The, the need is definitely greater in terms of volume that folks are, are needing in, in order to reverse an overdose. So you know, we've, there are certain substances that are out there that folks are needing, you know, 11 what we call hits of, of naloxone in order to, to get their heart rates back and to get their breathing back. And, you know, one, one kit, I think, contains about four shots of the intramuscular naloxone. So, you know, you can imagine if you multiply that number by, um, 
you know, by however many shots a person needs, then then you're looking at a very large volume of this of this medicine. So the numbers are staggering. I've got further questions to the province as to how many kits did they give last year? How many have they already handed out this year? How does that compare to previous years? Clearly the numbers are up, but also a follow-up question on the cost. I am not suggesting at all that we don't do this and hand these out. Clearly the demand is great, Greg, but you do have to wonder what's the long-term plan here uh, for this crisis, just reviving someone over and over and over again. For sure, there's a dollar amount, and there's the cost of then maybe do they then have to go to hospital? What's the recovery after that? I mean, when you add that all up, the, it, the, the alternative, there has to be a better alternative. Yeah, this is just a stopgap measure. This is uh, dealing with the aftermath, the, the <laughs> Brett, the cascading ramifications of the social ills, the social problems in our country that is leading to more and more addiction. And so we can hand out all the naloxone kits on the planet and access them and help those that are in a situation where they need a naloxone kit. That's one thing, but that's never going to stop until we figure out and get to the core issues around addiction and reduce those numbers overall. Otherwise, this is going to be a conversation we're going to be having for years to come. What really scares me about this whole situation is as somebody who we just talked about it yesterday when we were talking about magic mushrooms, I've stayed away from drugs because I have a tendency to get addicted to things. If you put a bag of potato chips in front of me, I have to have to eat the whole thing until it's gone. I got addicted to cigarettes after having two puffs from the, the, the first time. And I still that 25 years later, I still have a nicotine addiction. So I've avoided drugs, but to imagine that, one would take drugs that are that strong that you need 11 shots of naloxone. That you would consciously but, think, I could die, so yeah. I better bring this kit with me. But I need this drug because I'm addicted to it. I mean, that's scary. And I feel really awful for people who are in those mm-hmm. situations. I think it's easy to judge people or to say, well, pfft, you know. Don't do it. Just you want, you want to do those drugs, it. it's a, your choice. We're, you know, it's just a waste of our time and resources. But they, they got to that point. And we got to help them get out of that point. Because if they're that addicted to these substances, nothing you say. You can't just saying, oh, well, quit. Sure. It's just that easy. Just quit. Whatever. It's walking around with a, with a life jacket in your pocket, essentially. Have you wondered then, though, should you carry it? When I told the story of having to pull over and then calling 911 when this guy watches this woman collapse in front of him on Goulet, he yelled out, do you have a naloxone kit? And I really, I was like, no. And then since then I've seen that again. And I've wondered, should I like, you know, the hours we work and the things we see, maybe I should be a person who walks around with one of these. I don't know. It's a great question. I, I, you know, at what point we've had this discussion as well. What point would you get involved in a situation like that? Like, are you handing it out your window because I'm sorry, I'm not getting out of my car. I know, uh, I know. Necessarily to administer something when I'm not exactly clear on the situation because we've gotten to that point too, right? Is this a setup? Are they trying to take advantage of me uh, because of the time of the day and, and where we are and, and, and that sort of thing? So it's horrible to imagine that that's how you feel. But I was coming in on Main Street one morning and someone was lying down in, in the curb lane on Main Street and I slowed down and I rolled down my window and I said, are you okay? I need help. I need help. I, I, I'm calling 911. No, no, don't t- call 911. And as soon as I said 911 is on the line, this person got up and started yelling and berating me and then threw something at my vehicle. 
10 years ago, I would have been out of my car instantly mm-hmm. at that person's side, finding out what they needed. But because I've been in other situations where I know someone's been trying to get me out of my vehicle in the middle of the night through something, through a story that isn't true. I gotta look out for my safety first. Yeah, but and it's so like it's the, horrible. It's like the 2023 AED, though. Like, where it should almost need to be a kit in the corner. There are businesses that sign up through the province if you want to have, or a community organization if you want to have kits, they'll provide them for That's you great. to the point where there's gas stations. I know in Selkirk, for example, sure. that on the sign it says we have naloxone kits inside because clearly at some point in their day they're seeing this unfold. Crazy. Some of the restaurants and lounges I go to, they have a naloxone kit hanging right behind the bar on the wall, on the wall, just clearly labeled naloxone. So I guess in case someone walks in off the street and needs help, they know where to, everyone knows where it is. Can't get a nappy pan like that behind a bar, restaurant for people with allergies. And here we are with a, a opioid crisis. I'm not saying one is worse than the other. No, no. It's, I just, it's, it's, I would keep using the word. It's so, I cannot believe this is where we're at. Well, it's a beca- great point though. It's become a fact of life for so many people, a fact of life. From so many social circles that you might have somebody like this. It's like the the, the police, you know, their chest seals and, and tourniquet trading. You know, we had the police tell us how many chest seals that the police applied last year. Our murder rate might have been 25, 30, 35% higher, if not for something that police were not carrying just 36 months ago. You can weigh in at 204-780-6868. And hey, by the way, our question of the day at cjob.com and Loren mentioned Goulet a couple of uh, minutes ago. CAA has unveiled its list of the worst roads in Manitoba. Of the five Winnipeg roads in the worst 10, which do you think is the worst? Goulet, Leela, Keniston, Saskatchewan Avenue, or Empress? Cast your vote at cjob.com. We're going to check in with Hal Anderson after we check your forecast as we listen to some Glass Tiger and Rod Stewart. I used to love this song. <laughs> Glass Tiger, I'm telling you. And Platinum Blonde. We should bring that back somehow. Platinum Blonde is oh. still uh, a mainstay on, uh, you know, sort of classic uh, pop radio stations. Oh, yeah. And you'll see them uh, at small town festivals, Glass Tiger and Platinum Blonde. And actually, Platinum Blonde gets played a lot on the overnight show, The Shift, right? Oh, really? One of their bumpers is Platinum Blonde. Uh, it doesn't sure really it. matter? Or? I think so. Yeah. You need yeah. to crank this up. This makes me want to, like, walk through the... Meadow or Highlands or something like that. I don't know. Like maybe even golf. How did Alan Frew ever like hook up with Rod Stewart? Rod Stewart, Stewart yeah. But come on. Ah, who cares? It's good stuff.